1: Good morning, church. In the book of Psalms chapter 139 verse 14 it says I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. And then we follow that up in the book of Colossians in the New Testament chapter 1 verse 16 it said for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I came across a poem that you guys have probably heard, but I want to read this poem to you because it really struck home to me the other day, the first time I, or the the last time that I heard this. And it says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought," It hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin but he held it up with a smile what am I bid good people he cried who starts the bidding for me one dollar one dollar do I hear two two dollars who will make it three three dollars once three dollars twice going for three but no, from the room far back, a gray-haired, gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin, he tightened up the strings. He played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. Said, What now am I bid for this old violin as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand what changed its worth swift came the reply twas the touch of the master's hand and many a men with life out of tune all battered and bruised with hardship is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like that old violin a mass of portage a glass of wine a game and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. You know, when I was growing up, going through youth, I had a youth minister that was very wise. And one time he told us, he said, I would rather be a tool in the hand of our master than a trinket on a shelf gathering dust. Whenever he said that, it it really intrigued me because, you know, I'm the kind of person that I love to watch somebody who is great at their trade. Whether it be a woodworker who takes their tools and can transform a lump of old wood into a magnificent masterpiece. Or take it even farther than that, you know, watching basketball players who are good at what they do, you know, they can, they can dribble the ball through their legs, around their back, over their head, under their feet, and I'm just struggling to dribble it. But it doesn't matter what it is, when a master takes hold of its tools... It changes that tool from something up on a shelf to something very important. And that's where we're at. You and I are all tools in the hands of our master. Are you going to let him use you to shape the world? Or are you going to cause him to put you back on the shelf? Because I would rather be a tool in the hand of our master the touch of our master's hand than anything sitting on a shelf where are you at today let's pray heavenly father thank you thank you for taking us off the shelf and making us into something that is useful lord allow us to be used by you in such a way that we touch our world lord you are our master and time you touch us We turn into priceless, priceless material. Lord, as we come to this table, let us remember that you are our master. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.
0: Most of us have been on a plane where the little uh, flight attendant, whether it's a male or a female, stands up at the front and says there are exits fore and aft, and we've all done this, you know, and they explain how to put on a seatbelt, which still fascinates me. If you don't know how to put on a seatbelt, what are you doing on a plane? You know, kind of those things. But most of us have heard those announcements, right? And we, we set through it, and some of us pay attention, and some of us are already plugging in our headphones and trying to figure out what the next thing is to do, and There was one particular flight that the flight attendant gave the whole spiel, and at the end she said, To those of you that listened to me, thank you. And to those of you that ignored me, good luck. (laughs) I thought that's interesting. It's as if the Bible keeps saying, Hey, you better pay attention, because the stuff I'm telling you could save your life. It could make a difference in what you are doing there is no sin that is mentioned more in scripture that is preached against more that is warned about more than idolatry and that's why we're in this series called American Idols and this week we're going to talk about a very difficult we're going to be in 2 Kings 17 if you want to start turning there the idol called me Full disclosure, right at the front, this has been a very hard series for me. I thought it was going to be fun and catchy with a cute logo and a fun little tune, and and it has turned out to be a lot harder because I've had to examine some things and realize, don't do what I you know, don't do what I do, do what I say, because I'm not doing very good at this at the same time, and I'm trying, and I want you to know that we're all trying. Franklin will continue this series. In fact, he'll close it out next week. And, and it just has been all while I've been writing this, why is the object of our worship such a big deal? Here's why I think it is, because you become like what you worship. If you're joining us online, joining us on the radio, thanks for being with Central Christian Church. We're in 2 Kings 17, I want to pick up in verse 12. Yes, they worshipped idols despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings, Again and again the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn, to warn both Israel and Judah. Turn from all your evil ways. Obey my commands and decrees. The entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I gave you through my servants, the apostles. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn As their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God, they had rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors, and they despised all his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. What you worship determines who you become. I've shared this illustration before, but it still impacts me, and I want to share it again. Uh, James Mishner was a great American novelist, wrote really great novels, huge, huge, like 1,500-page massive novels, really a, a descriptive, you know, he'd spend six pages describing a door handle. It was unreal, but it, he had this one book called The Source, and the source in it, a character is named Erbal. He was a farmer in 2200 B.C. And in the village where they lived, they worshipped two gods, lowercase g gods. One was the god of death, and one was the goddess of fertility. And they, they had a, a community priest, and the priest called everybody together and said, it's been a bad year, we need to offer sacrifices. And so they came together to offer sacrifices to the god of death, and five of the members of the community had to give their sons to be thrown into the fire. Erbal was one of them. Erbal and his wife carried their son up there. They threw him in the pit. The priest, the priest stands up and says, There is a new prostitute at the temple of the goddess of fertility, and we're going to cast lots, and one of you needs to spend a month in there so that we will be blessed with fertile grounds and many children and so we can grow really well. And, and they cast lots, and Erbal's name was chosen, and as his name was announced, he smiled. And his wife stands there brokenhearted. She'd lost a son, and in all aspects, really, she'd lost a husband. And Michener has the woman's character say this, if he would have had different gods, he would have been a different man. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5 echoes the verse that we just read when it says they followed worthless idols and they became worthless themselves. God knows that what you worship shapes you. And the God that might be the most worshipped one in the entire U.S. might be the one you see in the mirror every morning. It's a God about me. It's a God about control. And, And it really doesn't matter if you have the idol of control or the idol of success or the idol of more. Idolatry conceals an agenda that is all about me it started in the garden now a lot of us when we're growing up we hear the story of the garden of eden and we think well satan ran up there in a in a snake costume and handed an apple and eve just ate it okay you know i didn't know anything about it but that's not how it played out the serpent came up and said why is he keeping that tree from you he doesn't want you to be like him Don't you want to be in control? Don't you want you to be the one that makes the final choices? Why can't you be the most important? And it goes throughout our culture now. Through all of the ads, you get to pay what you want. You get to choose what you want because you're worth it. You are the boss. Many believe that one of Jesus' most powerful sermons he made in one statement in Mark chapter eight and verse thirty four if you want to come after me you gotta deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you notice he didn't say deny yourself things? Like oh if I'm gonna follow Jesus, I guess I can't cuss anymore. Guess can't guess can't drink anymore, guess can't go to the lake on the weekends anymore. He never said deny yourself things. He said deny things yourself what we need is a fundamental reorientation of our character one of the catchphrases in business now is a paradigm shift we never know what that really means but what it really means in its essence is we have to find a new true north we've got to reset our compass we reset what we put as first so that he gets that first position what jesus said in this he didn't say you people need to be more religious what he said is you people need to be more crucified you need to get rid of you what if we changed the words to the songs that we sing what if we i mean we all know how great thou art what if we sing how great i art doesn't really flow. It kind of sounds weird. Listen to some of the ones we sing today. I have decided to follow me. doesn't rhyme. It it has no meter to it. Uh, I will make room to do whatever I want to do. I'm my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior. We would never sing those. It sounds ridiculous to even suggest that. But I was sitting there wondering this week. I wonder if that's what god hears i wonder if he hears me sing the lyrics of that song but in my head i'm putting me first in 1996 tom cruise made a movie where he was a sports agent and i liked the movie i thought it was really fun and at the end there's this scene where he comes in and they're having all these women are meeting in this room having a why we hate men meeting and he comes into the room all right and he comes in, and, and he's like, I used to be in the living room. That's where I made my big speeches. And he makes this big speech, and at the end of it, he makes this statement. You complete me. And all the women in America sighed. And all the men in America threw up. and <laughs> Like, oh, crud. Now we got to do that? Ugh, I hate that. But this may be one of the few times in history that heaven sides with the man. Because for anybody to have the idea that another person's job is to complete you is a lie. It's too much pressure to put on somebody else to do what only God can do. There is a God-shaped hole in all of us. And... Consequently, I think that's what causes a lot of conflict in marriages and relationships because we expect the other one to fulfill my needs. We live in a what's-in-it-for-me society. It even happens in the church world. Look at all the squabbles over worship over the last 20 30 years. I don't like that worship. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't like that church. It's not feeding me. You hear it? Now look, uh, maybe the better question would be, what does my worship do for God? Are there songs that you really like? You can go ahead and nod. And are there other songs that maybe you don't hate them, but they may not be your favorite? Was that fair? And there are styles of preaching that you really like. And then there are styles of preaching that you really are not really crazy about. Is that fair to say? That's that's totally fine. But how do you react when it's the kind that you don't like? Well, I don't like that song, so I'm just not singing. Do we do that to God? Now, let me be honest. Um, I grew up, most of you know, I grew up in a fairly conservative background. Is that polite way to say that scott all right um you, am i tracking okay i grew up and i gotta be in honest i got it victory in jesus wasn't my favorite song now i just made a bunch of you mad because that's your favorite hymn of all time that's not why it's not because i didn't like the words to it this is how i grew up with that song all right i grew up with everybody in church standing to sing number 438 Oh victory in Jesus! How long till we can get to one e toes? <laughs> Anybody? I, there was no victory in Jesus. It was a funeral dirge. It was oh, it, well, and there's like seventeen verses of it. So you know, it's it, and we just get sadder and sadder. Uh, how would we? What if we sing? None can compare. Jesus is better, but we sing it with a frown on our face. What does God hear? Is this making sense? What does God hear from me? In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 8, they're doing something, and God is talking to his prophet Malachi about Israel. Listen to what he says in Malachi 1.8. How dare you bring your second-rate sacrifices to my altar? You wouldn't do that for the governor. Why do you do it for me? What Israel was doing is they were bringing flawed sheep. They were bringing diseased cows, and they were putting them on the altar. And it makes all the sense in the world. Well, I can't sell this cow at market. Let's just throw that one on the altar. It won't be any big deal. And God says, how dare you do that? Are we giving second-rate sacrifices? Franklin said it, what's second? Because that's what's competing with first. You see, we were designed to bring glory to God. Isaiah 43, verse 7, I have made them for my glory, he says. I, it was I who created them. Matthew five sixteen we quote this one all the time. Let your light so shine among men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. That's the whole purpose of when you bring mac and cheese to bless the food bank or you fill up a baby basket or you ring the bell for Red Kettle which is coming up really soon or you do some of the service projects that we love for and the things that we do when you're doing that it is not to say oh look at how great we are it's hopefully that people will see what we're doing and that we are so fundamentally different that our true north is so fundamentally different than the world that they will say that guy's God is amazing Let me see if I can illustrate it another way. Let's play a game. How many of you like icebreakers? Especially you teachers. First day of the year, you have that whole convulcade, whatever they call it. You meet in the big auditorium. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to pass out Skittles. And if you get a green one, you get to tell me what's your favorite pizza flavor. And if you get a pink one, you know know those games? And you're just like stab me in the heart. I hate this time, all right? So we're going to play one of those right now, okay? We're going to play an icebreaker game, so everybody get to know Reagan. All right, that, that's how we're, why we're going to do it. I'm throwing that bus right on top of her. Here's what your questions are, you know, and we could say, what is your favorite piece? How would you like it if this is how my icebreaker game is? Turn to your neighbor and say this question. How much do you weigh? <laughs> You're a big boy. You're coming in, what, 350, 400, yeah. man) How how popular would I be, all right? The rest of that speech, you're out of here, man. Get lost, all right? There's an interesting thing in Scripture. The word glory in the New Testament coming from the Greek and later on from the Latin, glory means the majesty of God. We all recognize it, especially at Christmas. Gloria in excelsis, dale. from the Latin, glory glory to God in the highest, okay? We recognize that. It's in all the Christmas songs. In the Old Testament word, the exact same word glory is in Hebrew. It's a little bit different. And the Hebrew word I put on the screen, chavod. Everybody say chavod. If you didn't spit on the person in front of you, you didn't say it right. All right. There's a, it's a real guttural language. There's a lot of phlegm involved. I don't know. But chavod, chavod is the, the word that is translated and that we use. But how it is translated in the Hebrew is simple. It's translated weight. Not W-A-I-T. W-E-I-G-H-T. The glory of God in the New Testament is His majesty. The glory of God in the Old Testament is He weighs more than everything. He is bigger than everything. Friends, our earth has a weight problem, and I'm not talking about pounds. I'm talking about where we put our attention. The thing that gets your heaviest attention is glory. Now, you hearing where we're going with this? If there is a person, if there is an activity, if there is a situation that gets priority above God, you're putting glory where it doesn't belong. putting glory where it does not belong, on things that are not worthy of glory. And we begin to worship the created things instead of the Creator. That's what he says in Romans one twenty-five. They, they, you know, they were, became worthless as hell. They begin to worship the made things, the created things, instead of the Creator God. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Suppose they want to make a big movie. You're going to make a big movie, and they invite you to be an extra in the movie, okay? The 738th Marvel movie. I don't know. Thor's going to come break out of something. Who knows? And and we're going to have this big movie, and you're going to be an extra in this movie. There's a big crowd, thousands of people out there in the crowd, right? And they're going to pan across that crowd, and you're in there in that crowd, and, they, and it's like a five-second camera pan, right? And they do this. They shoot it. 25 times they shoot it all day the movie wraps it goes to production it gets time to release this big blockbuster movie and you go buy all the tickets to the theater right and you invite all your friends you give out these tickets everybody comes watches the whole movie you're on screen about one-fifth of one second as the crowd goes by the movie finishes you stand up and go how'd y'all like my movie you think I'm going to get an Oscar nomination this time? I and mean, we look at that and we go, that's kind of dumb, Don. It sounds ludicrous, but do we realize we are a blip on God's story? We are part of an incredible eternity. But Scripture says we are a... That's how long we last. It's not that we're not important. It's just sometimes we think we're the main actor in God's movie. Go with me to the New Testament in Romans chapter 1. We've been in this passage several times in Romans 1 as we've been talking about American idols. And I just think this is key, that we see what Paul is talking to people that are stuck in religion. And he's trying to teach them, Look, to be a Christ follower, you've got to get rid of the, the religious part, and you've got to follow Him. Listen in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Yes, they knew God. But they didn't worship Him as first. And you see what it says? They they became confused. They thought they were wise, they really were fools. They thought they were smart because they were in control and they put themselves in control. Friends, there is a place that is set aside for those that want it their way. And it's called hell. That is not a popular word. People don't like preachers talking about it. People don't like anybody talking about it. We think this wrath of God is God, hellfire and brimstone, and burning everybody up. When really, according to Romans chapter 1, if you really read this passage, the wrath of God is giving you over to yourself. The wrath of God is, all right, this is what you asked for. You want to be in charge, you want to disagree with me. Remember how he warned Israel over and over? We're not listening. If you want that, this is what you're going to get. And the funny thing, people get mad when you talk about hell. People get mad. Well, how could a loving God do that? I thought, you know, you reading this Bible and in the Old Testament, he's killing everybody. How can that be a loving God? I thought you said he's such a big loving God. If he's a loving God, how could he send people to hell? Friends, he doesn't. You do. And we got to hear that. It's not pretty. But the God of me has a place, and it's internal fire. It will not end well. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That verse shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three. But in the Luke version, Luke adds one word to it, the word daily. Take up my cross every day. It reminds me it's not a one shot inoculation. It's not a run down to the front, get in the water. All right, we made it. It's not of that. It is an everyday surrender. We keep playing this song. I will make room for you to do what you want to do. This is my place of surrender. This is my habit of surrender. This is my, my reason for surrender. It's a choice we make every day. We choose to practice communion every week. We choose to meet together every week. We cannot go through this idea of we don't need really the church. We, I'm cool, whatever. I love God, but you know I'll get there one of these days. No. It is a choice every day to put Him on the throne because what is second is trying to take first i read an article this about two weeks ago that had this quote in it a lady said we are all the heroes of our own narrative that's pretty powerful and friends yes we are until we put the glory where it belongs Till we put the weight of what we're dealing with in our life where it belongs. Now, you may be sitting there going, Don, but you don't understand. I'm broken. I'm dealing with divorce. I'm dealing with chronic pain. Our finances are in the toilet. I'm dealing with all this. Yes. Yes, you're right. And I don't know what you're dealing with. And I, I hate the pain that you're going through. But if you put that pain, number one, you're putting more weight on it than it can carry. If you put your relationships, as number one, you're putting more weight on that than it can carry. It's daily surrendering and putting him first. So what weighs the most in your life? Francis Chan in his book uh, Crazy Love tells this really odd story about a guy named Stan Gerlach stan was a leader in their church i think he was kind of like an elder or something and uh was really well respected he was a good friend of francis and he uh there was a, a family in the church that had, had a pa- passing a death and so they were having a funeral and they invited him to come and give the obituary everybody knows that's the part they print in the newspaper about where he was born and when he where he went to school and all that kind of stuff so he got up here and he did the obituary and And he kind of went off script. It wasn't really planned, but he just said he felt compelled to strongly share about Jesus right then. He said, I just want you to know Jesus. This person would want you to know Jesus before you leave this place. And he finished his comments with this. You never know when it might be your time to die. Are you ready? And he closed up his Bible and his notes and he went and sat down on the front pew. And about five minutes later, he fell over dead. I think of the chaos that would present in a service and all of what 's going on. Francis Chan tells he was out of town and he heard about it. He rushed back and he rushed over to the house to meet the family. They were good friends of yours. He was trying to figure out what do I say? What do I say and he gets up to the door, and one of Gerlach's Uh, adult sons meets him at the door. And Francis starts to say, I'm so sorry, let me pray for you. And his son was just beaming. He said, did you hear? Did you hear what dad's last words were? He was talking about Jesus. Let me ask you a question. When we preach your funeral, who will we say you talked about the most tough questions why is it we can post our political opinions really easily but we hesitate to tell people about jesus why is it we can be so frustrated and so upset but we come to church and we sing victory in jesus and i have decided to follow jesus and i surrender all and all these great things we go on back to doing things our way. God is calling us to surrender. What, what weighs the most in your life? What is taking the most of your attention? What is, what is trying to get that first position in your life? Now some of you are sitting there going, But Don, I'm a parent. I've got to raise my kids. That's got to be first priority. hey. God bless you. I'm in the same bat boat. We're fighting together. God needs to be first. And we, we try to baptize our attitudes about politics, or our attitudes about sports, or our attitudes about, uh, about our kids and all their activities and say, well, that's more important. Nothing is more important than putting Him first. Friends, idols are dragging us down. We need to smash these American idols. Like I said, this is not easy. It hurts. And I'm not about to sit here and tell you, I've got this figured out because I don't do what I do what I say, don't do what I do. What's it gonna take for us to give him first priority? Thank you
1: for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at
2: centralwired.org.